In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to the Feelin' Film Podcast. Today, I am joined by Chicago film critic and Feelin' Film contributor Don Shanahan to talk about the latest monster movie to grace the big screen, Kong Skull Island. Don, we kind of threw this one on the schedule on short notice after we both saw an advanced screening and enjoyed ourselves. Thanks for being able to come on. Aaron, thanks for having me. This is a good time because uh, the movie's a good time. So this was a good spur of the moment thing to hop on and, and kind of stir up some, some, some buzz in the film. Yeah, I'm hoping we can do that. Now, uh, you have been able to attend some of these advanced screenings here recently uh, after getting some press credentials in Chicago, which is an awesome thing. And I just wanted to quickly say on the air, thank you, because you helped me do the same thing. And so here we are uh, being able to discuss this film and, and put this episode out for those of you who just got out of seeing this probably as early as last night, if you're listening to this on Friday morning. I'm sure you went quickly seeking uh, podcasts to hear other people's conversation about what they liked about the film. I'm I'm expecting most people to enjoy this one, Don. I I can't imagine people are going to hate it. Um, I I I'm, I am as well. I think you'll find some of those um the the maybe the purists out there who who want the awe and the wonder that maybe Peter Jackson brought or the original from 1933 brought who might think this is dumbed down. Some of the, you know, the purists I think will kind of turn their nose at this film, but I think the, the, the rank and file normal good old folks that go see a movie and pay their nine bucks to see something on the big screen are going to be just fine with this nine bucks. Gosh, boy, what oh, I would sorry. Chicago prices. What I, I would, mean, I would like, love to pay nine bucks for a movie. I was doing more matinee. It might be more like 12 or 14 here. I think, yeah, if I'm down, if I see the movie where I saw it for a press screening, it's probably, yeah, 12.50. If a matinee might be eight. I'm in Burbs a little bit where I can get a good matinee on a Sunday for five or six. But, yeah, nine's the low end, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to quickly go over our uh, initial impressions. And then after that point, we will be full spoiler mode. So sure. just a warning to, to listeners that we do spoil the movie. And so if you haven't seen it after we talk here briefly at the beginning, make sure you turn us off and you can come back after you go see the film. Don, what were your initial impressions? What did you think of this one when you came out of it? Um, I, I came out of this with about the same buzz I had for Jurassic World two summers ago, where um, kind of the way I was leading to with just talking about it where we were. Um, I felt like this was a nice shorthand way of moving from something we revere to some, to just, just having the fun with it, having the monster match. Um, uh, two years ago when I, when I reviewed Jurassic World, I talked about kind of that definition, that dictionary definition of spectacle, uh, of you know, just something that is uh, – that really tries to stand out, really tries to kind of be curious and, and non-ordinary and, and just kind of be, um, you know, the excessive version that comes with the definition of, of spectacle. And I think this is right, right in line with where Jurassic World was two summers ago, where this is go big or go home. This is the rip-roaring roller coaster, no strings, no rules, no heavy gravitas, no you know, cute kid moments or anything, you know, no Spielbergian tropes. This is just, we have a monster and he's going to tear crap up and we're going to have a good time watching it. So, um, you have a fun cast. You have, um, 
uh, enough balance that we'll talk about later. I'm pretty sure between some drama and some camp and some and but this is pure, this is pure roller coaster. This is the, the Candyland path of peril, as I've called in other movies, and it's it's just meant to be a throwdown, you know. And and, and where they're building and where they're heading, th- it was time for a throwdown. I mean, if if you want that on Wonderment that you really, really, really wanted to remember for this, go back and watch the Peter Jackson film. But if you want the the, the bounce house version of just tearing stuff up. If you want to be a little kid that's just slamming action figures together, come watch this one. I love that reference that you just made, a bounce house version. That's that's a fantastic visual. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it really does fit this one, I think. So I, I was able to take my son, who's 12, to this one with me. Uh, it was graphic there. Great experience. It was his first ever uh, screening, so he he thought he was, you know, big time. And we were actually surprised at our screening with an IMAX 3D version of the film, which is, is very, very rare, mind you. Never happens. Um, we, we were standing in line and watched them roll a cart by us with a bunch of IMAX glasses. And we were like, oh, my goodness, is that for us? And I got to tell you, I was pleasantly surprised and, and pleased to have been given that opportunity because I don't see many films in 3D. It, it just doesn't usually make itself worth the money for me. It's, it's sometimes more distracting than anything. And while the 3d was, you know, average ish for me in this one, I definitely enjoyed the fact that I had a bigger IMAX screen, better sound. I would highly recommend seeing this one in 2d IMAX. If you are in a location that has theaters that, that service that, which I do. So I'm used to it. Um, but yeah, biggest, biggest screen you can find for this one is the way to go. I mean, this is a monster movie. That's, that's what you want. You want a monster that is towering over your humans. And we certainly get that in this one. It was, it was great for us as well. We really enjoyed the action in this. It, it, it never let up. The pacing was fantastic in my opinion. It just, it just took you by the hand and started running. And while there were moments, you know, of pause, we never really got bogged down in any kind of terrible monologue <laughs> issues or um, overly dramatized uh, situations to to try and force character development that ultimately couldn't even be followed through on. And so I, I think that by really, I, I guess the word I would use is I feel like this is a film that was made by a director and a team that were very self-assured of what they wanted to do. This is the movie they wanted to make, and it is exactly the movie they wanted to make. There weren't any confusing times in this movie where it felt like they didn't know which direction to go. It it really seemed to me that they chose a path and committed, <laughs> and I respect the heck out of that. And, you know, when this was over, yeah, I, I was ready to pound my chest like Kong and give out my mighty roar in approval because I really, really enjoyed it. And had a good time with it. Yeah, I I was impressed um, at the at the tautness of this, like you said, not just with editing, but even with storytelling, where the sprinkles of world building and exposition they put in there um, don't bog the film down at all. Um, I think that I'm surprised because this is the same, at least the story start to this is the same screenwriter who did Godzilla a couple years ago, and um, I don't know, I felt like that movie was paced completely different than this one, where that's a slow builder. That's a uh, in very intentional, um, weighty Brian Cranston drama character building thing where you don't get a monster for 45, 50 minutes. So 
I'm surprised that the same screenwriter who really dolled out the patience last time said, nope, screw it, let's roll, you know, send the choppers in, let's tear stuff up. So I, I'm surprised they got to business in this one. I think what helps is that um, we, you know, with this, we just had the Peter Jackson movie. Um, and, you know, and so you don't, that you can kind of go shorthand with, you know, origin stories and lore and all that stuff like that. I think the Godzilla movie from a couple of years ago was really trying to rewrite and erase the Roland Emmerich, Dean Devlin junk from 1997 or eight or whatever year that was, that was horrible where they needed to, you know, really, you know, put more cleaning solution on the slate to wipe clean. This one, you don't have to, uh, Kong's been done and it's been done well where they can get up and go. Um, but yeah, the the pacing was good. the, The fun is there. And, um, yeah, for me, I saw it in 2D, um, just straight 2D on a normal screen, nothing crazy. Um, I can see why an IMAX screen, of course, would make this thing look amazing. Um, I'm also, since this is the first time we've ever talked about it, you and I, um, I'm also kind of a, a non-3D guy. I avoid it if I can. It's just um, uh, not that I'm a super-duper cinema snob, but I don't like the dimming effect that the glasses do. It, it turns into a pair of sunglasses and scenes, especially if it's a night scene. Good luck. You know, so, um, yeah, I'd rather see a 2D presentation and pay three less bucks for a ticket at the same time. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's going to be worth the money uh, to see this one on any screen as long as you're seeing it in a theater. This is the kind of movie that you don't want to miss. And it's almost like we're starting our summer blockbuster season a couple months early because usually this is the kind of fare that we get in, you know, traditionally the films in May have kicked this off. And right. it seems to be that Hollywood is pushing that bar further and further back, which is which is fantastic, by the way, because yeah, there's room to do this year round. I mean, if there we're gonna is. Get, if we're going to get Fast and Furious in, in April, the first week of April, and even a year ago when we had Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice in the end of March, um, and you always put one good blockbuster during President's Day, Valentine's Day weekend in February to kind of kill it for a month. Uh, yeah, I mean, why not? Yeah, I, I like it. I like the spreading the wealth as well. So it it doesn't feel like my summer is all oversaturated with the same exact plot <laughs> over and over and over. But yeah, I, I think this is the one that that parents can take your kids to. Now, um, let's Older let's go kids. ahead and admit. Yeah, I was getting ready to say. It. So let's let's oh, go ahead and get into spoilers. This one, I can't take my four year old daughter. This one, no. But a boy like your son, that's target demographic for sure. Yeah, exactly. So so older older kids, uh, you know, middle school or or up probably is is where you want to lean for this one. And from this point on, uh, the spoiler warning is is in effect. So anything we say, just be aware that we're we're going to talk in in honest terms of of everything about this movie. Now. The one in in line with the the warning about kids, um, I, I was a little surprised on at the violence in this, and yeah, not so much that there was violence, but just in the it, it almost felt to me at times horrorish, like a horror movie. There were there were moments where arms literally get like ripped off and. And and just you know bodies are getting, you know blood splattered all over the place. I, I wasn't really prepared for that because I felt like we were set up for more of this PG ish romp of action, and then it kind of got a little bit raw and real there for a while. 
Yeah, I think it had a um, it had a bar it wanted to surpass. I think because, for example, the Peter Jackson film, which we're all going to point to because this is the most recent thing. Unless you get to the pit and that really dark insect scene on um, in the in the Jackson film, things stay reasonably cartoonish. You know, just big lumbering things that knock things over that are made out of special effects and and all that. But no, um, you're right. The violence that shows up here comes at you hard and it lingers a little bit or they hold that shot for a few moments where you're like not just are you like a, a jump scare dang it lingers like oh dang oh dang oh dang you know and it just sticks perfect example since we're on spoilers the, the spider leg in the in the bamboo forest yes I mean, yes that was not just like a oh wow it happened it they hung on that for a little yeah. bit, and you're like, "Wait, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on?" And it just freezes you. And it, 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 it because it lingers long enough, you kind of have that. At least in my audience, you had that kind of nervous laughter thing, like, "How long? How long are they gonna? How long are we doing this?" You know. And it was very clever and hilarious how that was gonna go. So, um, yeah, it, it's the the spurts of violence while mostly bloodless because that's the key for a PG-13 rating is you can have all this violence as long as it's reasonably bloodless or if it's going to be bloody you're going to have to put cartoony green you know or pink blood that's not human blood to kind of you know get away with it so yeah like it it's it snuck a few in there that pushed the boundaries of PG-13 so since we're on this let's let's do that and talk a little bit about that action and and the way that that action is shot. Um, I remember when I got out of the film, I did a quick little Facebook live video with my initial reactions and I was kind of, you know, doing this off the cuff spur of the moment. And I was stumbling around and I said, you know, it felt, it felt very much like a Zack Snyder film. And you commented right away and said, well, that's the same cinematographer that Zack Snyder uses in, in many of his movies, Larry Fong. And as soon as you said that, it was just like a, a no brainer. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. That's exactly right. Because yeah. And it, even his presence alone, that, that should tell the audience something that like we're, we're going for mm-hmm. excessive slow-mos. We're going for dirt, dust, mud, and you know, just the, the, yeah, we're going for misty effects that we've seen from stuff like Watchmen and even Batman versus Superman a year ago. So, oh yeah, it's going there. And, and very sucker punchy, to be honest, if it was, this is very much a, a, jungle version of a sucker punch um with your slow-mos and your your just ridiculous physics sometimes of the way that bodies would be flying through the air and of course framed in these camera shots to really give you the impression of how small the human form was in relation to the monsters and just this island in general oh yeah Um, Were were you a sucker punch fan i actually i actually am yes i i really enjoy the movie so you're the one. Yeah, I'm the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I like it. Um, And, you know, if nothing else, story aside, it is phenomenal oh, to watch as an action film. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And so yeah, that, that's never been Zack Snyder's weak point to me. So, no. I mean, this is a good guy to bring in. And you can tell the influences are there where, you know, they've all watched Apocalypse Now a few too many times. So, you know, they, they bring that kind of scorched jungle look um that that coppola had for for apocalypse now and but bring these newfangled tricks to it with fong cinematography and some of the camera moves where you put all that slow-mo you know you know action pans and the and the in the colored establishing shots through all the different elements that you know you take a coppola film and then you just you know you just kind of expand it or you know heighten it a little bit and you know i i lost count of how many 
silhouetted by the sun, aping pun intended shots there were in the movie. So yeah, they 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 did their homework in one place. <laughs> they did, and and you know that's really the only comparison it has to an apocalypse now or some of these older Vietnam war films is in that aesthetic. Uh, yeah. You know, those are much more dramatic pictures of characters and we did not get that in this one. Um, but staying on the action for a second, I remember mm-hmm. very vividly the moment when I think it was the moment when I would say I went from, on the fence to all in on this movie. All right. And it's the, it's the scene where the canisters have exploded and released this toxic gas all over the, the skull crushers. See, I don't even remember what they're called. The skull. Yeah. Crawlers. crawlers. I think it's what Riley called them. Yeah. Yeah. The battleground of, or the, the burial ground of Kong's parents essentially. Uh Um, And so there's this cloud and Tom Hiddleston's character, has to go save the day and have his kind of shining moment. And he, he grabs the samurai sword from John C. Riley, throws on a gas mask. And of course this is all done in a very slow-mo fashion of him, you know, slowly picking up the gas mask in one motion and somehow perfectly putting on his face. And I, I kind of held my breath for a second and thought, Oh gosh, here we go. We're, we're going to take this guy and we're going to just totally ruin what I feel is any semblance of realistic nature to this film uh, and just go dumb now. And of course there he goes slicing his way through this toxic gas and these bat like bird, bird like monster creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to tell you the way in which it was shot, it was, it, it, it made me go from completely about to just bail on it to in love. And, and I don't know, I can't really explain why other than I was a kid again in that scene, in that scene, I saw the way that the, the, the pulled out shots in the cinematography of seeing Tom flailing his body around and slicing through these things. I mean, it was, it was very, what's the word for it? The cinema, it wasn't, it wasn't a very, like choreographed dance of an action scene. It was, it was a guy literally just fighting and swinging mindlessly at anything he could see to try and get through this. (laughs) And it worked. The slow-mo worked and I loved every second of it. And I was like, I I'm in at that point. Oh yeah. And, um, I think what sells it a lot is, um, I mean, like you're saying that camera work is part of it. And even though, um, that's the cool illusion is that, you know, in making it, Tom and Tom and the team had to choreograph the crap out of that scene. Yet, they they had to choreograph it to make it look unchoreographed, to make it look like the you know the the, the wild swordsman who's just kind of hacking and going, but it works. Um, I think what sells it a lot is is Tom. You know, just you know, physically being able to pull that off. You know, as a as a as a believable action star who could. Who can who can pick up a samurai sword after carrying an M16 on movie and go? Nope, I can do this too. And then the aesthetic, you know, you have the the green mist from the toxic gas, you have the smoke and the dust and the sunlight seeping in into this burial ground, and it just looks awesome. So the look of it makes it awesome. Tom Hiddleston's cool. It's just you're right. It's that it's that hero moment of cool factor that that elevated his character from being just the you know the 
great area, no political alliance, tracker guy to, oh, no, man of action, take charge, put put the movie on my back and let's go. You know, because for a while there, when John C. Riley's character showed up and kind of started to turn into the exposition machine of, you know, why we're here and what we're up against. And this is what it's going to take to get out of here alive. Um, he kind of took over the scene as kind of not not necessarily as the alpha dog in the movie, but just the I'm going to be the, you know, the, the handholder and the caretaker that gets us mm-hmm. through. And then all of a sudden Hiddleston has that scene and you're like, nope. He's going to be the one that pulls everybody out of here or is going to need to pull everyone out of here and does. So, yeah, that was that was an elevated moment where for one, that's a moment where I think it's the one moment in the movie where a human upstage Kong, you know, because yeah. all movie, it's a it's, it's the Kong show. Mm-hmm. The humans are secondary, but that's the one moment where you're like, dang. We, we we can play too. Yeah, yeah. I would I would almost agree. There's there's one other one that I would say lived up to that level for me. Um although it was not one I enjoyed as much because of course I'm not rooting for this character at that time. And that was at the end, uh when Samuel L. Jackson is captain, uh lures Kong in and I mean, everything about the end, that ending moment of, well, I guess it's not technically the end yet, but the, mm-hmm. he, he lures Kong through the water and you, of course he's coming through mist and it's just, it looks incredible. Um, and you know, Kong is getting closer and closer and Jackson is just standing there with this torch on the shore and all these guys with guns trained on Kong. And you're thinking you're an idiot. Like you are, do you, are you really this delusional that you believe you could just shoot him down from down here on the ground? And, because of the character buildup we've gotten, we as an audience kind of believe that, yeah, he might be that crazy. Like, he's that mm-hmm. insane at this point. And then all of a sudden he tosses that that uh, torch. And he has, the, of course, this perfectly classic Samuel L. Jackson evil grin on his face. And boom, you know, lights up the ground. Kong is on fire. And, and that was the other moment where I was like, okay, mm-hmm. now we've got some humans that are actually playing smart and potentially have the ability to take this guy down. And of of course it was a different feeling. Whereas, you know, Hiddleston we're relating to in the sense of this is my hero. I'm I'm following this guy because he's doing something heroic. He's saving a life. He's fighting to save someone. Instead, Jackson is cringeworthy because we aren't on his side at this point in the movie. Not in the least, you know, we, we want Kong to win. We don't want Jackson to succeed and take him down. So, while they're mm-hmm. both great examples of, of the humans going up and, and having these moments uh, that rival the power of what Kong has displayed, they're such different tonally. Yeah, agreed. Now, it's a good moment. For me, what sells that moment is um, because I, I was hearing from a buddy last night um, when we were finished and talking about the movie. Um, the original person cast for that role was J.K. Simmons. And I don't oh, think – I mean, no. I know for as much as I love J.K. Simmons and as much as he's ferocious and different things, especially Whiplash, he's still more J. Jonah Jameson than he is putting on the fatigues and getting out there as a military commander. But the fact that that's Samuel L. Jackson, who we've seen, like you said, put that evil grin on before, put that scowl on and, and look down any threat that comes down, uh, you know, the hand of his torture, a barrel of a gun. You know, that's a believable guy who's going to go out there and, and pull that Captain Ahab stuff to think he can just take down the monster. So, yeah, any other person in that role, particularly J.K., that that ain't happening. So, I mean, Sam, that Samuel, that's what that's what he elevates in the film. 
It, it really is. And you know that, you know, you write, you made a reference earlier to Jurassic World. And I think it's mm-hmm. a, it's a very close comparison. I definitely think this one is less serious than, I think Jurassic World tries to be a little more serious, not totally, but a little. Um, yeah. but with the Jurassic Park thing, did you catch Samuel L. Jackson's self-referential joke? Mm-hmm. Because the, man, uh, was that funny when your when when he says "hold on to your butts," I I about lost it. And of course, my son didn't quite get it yet. I mean, he's seen Jurassic Park, but he doesn't you know. He's not well, going to make that connection. Sure. Well, my brain went because I I knew going into this they were they were trying to connect monster verses and things like that. You know, like they were going to plug into Godzilla and get this going and all that. And I'm like, oh please connect this to Jurassic world just for fun or Jurassic park. Like yeah. make Samuel's veteran character be like the dad of the, you know, the desk worker in 1993 that says, hold on to your butts. And that's something his dad always said before he went to Nam. I'm like, please just, just for fun. Oh, that'd I mean, be so good. I mean, it'd be so meta. And, and so like, you know, very deep referencing in character connection. But I, I was, I was putting the, the string of yarn on the wall, like a homeland thing, you know, like I, I was, I was making this the the map like let's let's do it. That'd be so cool. You know, and and that really would be awesome. And and I mean, when it comes to the universe that they're building, I mean, I'm hyped for it now. I love this tone and this style that they've gone. And I think if they use this to bring us more and more of the monsters that we haven't seen since you know the older films, the Japanese mm-hmm. films of the what 50s and 60s. Right. Um, and really, you know, reinvigorate them for a new generation. And, and the, you know, that's one thing that I, I got out of this movie was my kid and I now had a film like this that we could connect to. And King Kong was never going to do that because my 12 year old isn't going to sit through three and a half hours of Ooh. drama. Right. That, that all, I mean, there's amazing sequences in that film of, yeah. of fights and, and, and battle. But there's also a lot of exposition. I mean, a lot. And so he's not going to be able to connect to that one in the way that he connects to this one. Because what he's going to remember in this one is fight scene to fight scene to fight scene. He's going to remember the awesome Cole going to make this incredible self-sacrifice and blow himself up to save the team. And and the monster being smarter and just whipping Mm -hmm. him with his tail. I mean, I, I, I... I had this moment of just, I almost cussed out loud in that moment. <laughs> like it was like an, Oh mm, moment, you know, because it was like, you, you're like, did that just happen? Cause that's not what you're expecting. Right. And so seeing those things turned on their head is what I, and obviously a child or a young person watching this film for the first time is going to, going to hold on to and remember. Right. And I, I think that's the, I like where they're building too, because um, these were characters, if you want to call them that, you know, Kong and Godzilla, that, kind of needed the i hate to say it but it's okay to dumb it down and and just make something that's fun make a i mean the stuff we remember as kids are b movies like that you know those are the easy ones you could take kids to and have a good time with um i and and i if this can push towards that i'm with you you know i I admit i was that guy who was um kind of cool on on godzilla uh i guess that'd be two years ago three years ago where um i i appreciated it for for you know, wiping the sleeve clean, like we said before, and taking this time to do it, having patience, because once he does show up, it's awesome and it's worth it. And and if and if that if that's our, you know, um, if that's our 
first film that gets that out of its system and we and we move just to the throwdown stuff all right i, I was happy to sit through that now that i know that they're going there because we haven't heard about much of a Godzilla sequel until they started to, you know, replug Kong in here. So, yeah, now that they're going to where they're going, it makes me more excited and appreciate what they did to set up with Godzilla three years ago. So, yeah, for did, a while, I wasn't into it. I'm assuming you stayed through the teaser on this film. Of course. I, that was one of the most fun teaser introductions at the end of a film that I've seen. And, of yeah. course, the mind automatically takes you to, you know, this was reminiscent of Marvel. The way that Marvel handles their teasers. This was a little bit piece of a, a world building. And this is going to tie into our next kind of conversation piece here. Um, just that revolves around some character stuff. But I thought that it almost made the lack of character development in the movie more acceptable. Because we saw that these characters were going to go forward. And so right. it felt more like a setup and like a an initial film in, in which you don't need as much because you know you're going to get more later. And I really enjoyed that sure. part of it. I think another part that um, that was okay with not having a lot of character exposition is um, I say to my review like this, um, you still have this Agatha Christie-like wheel of who's going to get killed next because because there's not a lot of investment in any of the characters, honestly – you know, um, there, you know, it's this kind of put together the group and go situation. Um, I think the guy who had, gives you the most background is probably John Goodman's character only cause he's there to kind of put the team together. But, um, because you don't know who's going to make it, you know, um, you really can't quite predict. Uh, I think that helps, you know, be okay with skipping the, the character stuff. The other part is, um, you can tell like, very much in that Marvel way of that blueprint, you kind of have that, um, that shield like organization with this monarch thing. Exactly. Where, um, you know, if that's where Ken Watanabe plugs in with the Godzilla of a couple years ago, and if that's the the group that, you know, that Goodman brings this through, yeah, I mean, you got your you got your shield organization that's gonna be observing and watching this the whole time and trying to be the human end of the resistance. And that normalizing thread or factor should work. And and yeah, if it's a big enough organization, you can kind of each movie bring in a different cast and different people, you know, you know, from, you don't have to sign guys to five picture deals. You can kind of bring different people in. And then when the time comes, you merge them all together and in, in a, in a Marvel light kind of fashion. So yeah, it can be done. Yeah. The only, the only character that I felt at all cheated by uh, in development sense was uh, the Asian biologist. uh, John Tan. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't going to even attempt to pronounce Uh, it. there i just saw her in the wall in the great wall yeah i thought it was her. okay that's where i knew her from yes yep and you know i was a little disappointed in that because i thought okay when they were doing the introductions on the carrier right before the the transport ship before they took off for the island we had a an incredibly awesome diverse group of characters uh both you know uh, racially and uh Mm -hmm. sexually i mean gender not necessarily (laughs) who knows and yeah. uh, and then she just fades into the background. She literally has nothing to do and does absolutely zip until yeah. the teaser trailer. And and I hope that that means that she's going to be more involved going forward. But man, yeah, it, it was almost a waste to even have her in this picture. And that's unfortunate. It, it is unfortunate. If she carries on and she moves forward, it'll be worth it. But you're right. And especially and that's as soon as I saw her, I'm like, ooh, 
same thing like I did with Samuel yeah. Jackson, like, please make her be related to Ken Watanabe, you know, and, and, and or just do something where that's our bridge to the other Asian end of where, where it's going on down in Japan. So yeah. I was, so I was definitely with you. I was hoping more for her mainly because she's a good actress. I mean, she, she um carries a cool leadership role in the great wall, even though, you know, care, you know, doesn't matter what you think about the movie, but she's good. So yeah, I was hoping for more, Um, even a little bit of the um Ivy league geologist that's with John Goodman. Um, Okay. Uh, oh, the character's name is Houston Brooks. It's a, uh, 24 legacy star Corey Hawkins from straight out of Compton where he has his kind of like second fiddle, second scientist, let's get out of here. Smartness part. But even he is a little bit short change. I know he's also in the teaser at the end. So that helps too. So if that's your, you know, your, your trio going forward, or if you obviously, if, I don't know how long we'd have Brie Larson because Brie Larson seems like the kind of person who would be kind of big time where this was kind of her, I know she signed on for this before she was an Oscar winner. Yeah, room she did. Yeah. If, if this was her one stop into this world and she goes out and, you know, sticks to Captain Marvel in, in the Marvel universe, that's fine. We ha- It was good for one movie and all that. But if Hiddleston can stay, that'd be kind of cool, too. But so I don't know it's, if that it's a questionable it can work, but it's a questionable core of characters going forward. Yeah. So the last thing I really want to just have a conversation about is the style of this film. So it is, it is very different than the Godzilla movie in, in 2014. And I actually just rewatched that tonight, uh, before this recording, uh, just, just for some context to kind of remember what sure. that was like. And uh, it was exactly what I remembered. <laughs> you know, it's, it is a slow, dramatic burn that focuses on the humans largely yeah. up until the end. Whereas what Kong Skull Island does, is it does not ever give you enough focus on the people to where you ever stop thinking about the fact that the monsters are there and the monsters are the the important part of this movie or the important part of this island. And I, I just think it it really handles this in a in a very, very deft way because there's a thin line to walk when you try to go campy. And when you try to be silly and especially when you're doing that with a list like movie stars, I mean, we have multiple Oscar nominated and and golden globe nominated and Emmy nominated actors in this film. And yet their presence alone without needing character backstories is what lets the movie continue to be elevated and, and work, I think. And so for yeah. me, this style, this is what I want. Like, I want this universe going forward. And Godzilla from the past, it was it was good. It was okay. Mm. But it's not my type of monster movie because, or I guess maybe I should say it this way. If I'm going to have a one-shot monster movie, that kind of works. If I'm going to have a universe built around multiple monsters, I need some of this craziness in my world. Agreed. Does that make sense? No, it does. And um, I think you're right. It, it, and I think that's probably because Godzilla was probably designed to be a one shot or even it's just its own thread with no mixing. So if that's the case, yeah, it works. Yeah. Now that they've kind of done this throwdown, Yeah. 
this is the energy and the momentum, the momentum you want going forward with the camp part. I was worried for a little bit in this movie. On the, I was on the fence because I thought, I mean, I knew John C. Riley was coming, you know, um, the trailer showed enough that, you know, he's coming in. I, he's got all the great lines in the trailer, you know, you shouldn't have come here, you know, and he just, his line delivery, because it's John C. Riley, you know, it, it, he's playing John C. Riley. So, but I was worried getting closer to that because I thought two of the soldiers, Thomas Mann from Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, and then uh, Jason Mitchell from also from Straight Outta Compton, were kind of. I thought they were playing kind of the WTF card, kind of too strong and too much for a while there. Where like everything was the, what's going on, man? You know, I, I thought they played the Bill Paxton Game Over card. <laughs> too hard, too much, because it was the both. It was the both of them doing it. Like if there's one guy of the bunch that's the nervous one, all right, fine. Two of them, you know, next to Samuel Jackson, no, it was, and, and next to you know um, Shea Wiggins, Captain, who's dead serious all the time, or even Toby Kebbell, who was you know um, was a, was a serious and a father soldier all the time. I, I felt like for a while there, the camp wasn't working. What helped me, what helped bring me back was. Tom Hiddleston never went camp, you know, never, he, didn't have some never. Che- he never had some cheeky one liner of like getting out of a jam, like, you know, some James Bondish pun of like, wow, that was hot, you know, or, or just whatever, some little cheeky reply, you know, or, or, you know, where he was as grizzled and into it as Samuel Jackson's character was only maybe for the right side. So don't get me wrong. I felt like this movie was, um, uh, a piece of Tom Hiddleston's future James Bond audition reel. Um, and it works because uh, he's, he's composed and he's awesome and he's British. So um, he's dreamy, at least for that part of the thing. But yeah, this, this handled camp enough because once you get to John C. Riley and he's separated from the guys who are playing the WTF, you know, game over card too much. It, it's okay. Cause um, John C. Riley gets to be John C. Riley, and he kind of takes it over, and it, it it blends well. And of course, in the Chicago crowd I'm in, all his like Chicago references, a hot dog, and the Cubs winning the World Series, so good, played really well in my place. Let me tell you, where everyone's like, you know, you could just watch the crowd go, "That's my favorite character ever right now." So of course. yeah, <laughs> he won everyone over in, in my audience. So and he he steals the film. So and it's okay that a guy like that can steal the film because um it was samuel's turn to steal the film last summer when he was kind of that um action presence in the legend of tarzan where he was the 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 the, the camp character who who kept us all kind of like grounded like ah, you know and, and held us down in the in the giggle department and it worked great yeah i i agree i thought that john c Riley really stole every scene he was in and just just kicked, just knocked it out of the park. I remember being incredibly worried about this movie because of the trailer and because of those lines that he was delivering. And, you know, I don't know. They didn't bother me at all uh, seeing yeah. them in the movie, which which surprised me. I, I thought yeah. for sure that they would. But sure. no, once we got to know his character in, in context and understand more about him, um, and, and I think, you know, giving him just enough of that tragic backstory of, of having sure. having you know ended up living here with his his enemy and becoming best friends and then losing his enemy it's never lingered on uh we never have to go yeah. through this again 15 minute dramatic piece where he's reflecting on the years that they spent together um it's nuanced and it's there and you know it's there and you know it's part of his uh heart that he's carrying with him but 
mm-hmm. you know, the show must go on, as they say. Yeah. And they handle that well and and stick yeah. to the monster stuff, which we haven't really talked about. <laughs> mm-hmm. So maybe we should do that really quickly. So the monsters, um, we have Kong, who uh-huh. is gigantic. Oh yeah, hundred foot. I um, looked it up today to which oh, Peter Jackson's Peter Jackson's version of Kong was twenty five feet tall. Um, the biggest you got was like the Jeff Bridges, Dino De Laurentiis, nineteen seventy six Kong, which was scaled to be about forty five feet tall. But this this hundred footer, oh, it shows and it's awesome. Goodness, you know, it's, it's and, and 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 that's how you for those people who say you know this is too soon to have another King Kong movie. Well, how do you get another King Kong movie that's going to sell tickets? Make it bigger mm-hmm. and and it and it's it just it's. That it sells it, you know, because if you say, yeah, we're going to have another Kong movie. Oh, by the way, he's four times larger than you've ever seen him on screen. And th- that'll make you go, what? Take my money. Yeah. When you when you get those opening shots of the helicopters uh, com- oh. coming up against him and you really frames just how big he is, um, mm-hmm. it, it's gigantic. I, I remember leaning over to my son and being like, no, no, no. Like, why are we flying around in circles around the big giant ape? Are we, are we idiots? Like, what are we, what are we thinking at this point? Oh, um, you're stealing one of my life lessons right now. So yeah. Oh, oh good, good. And well, then, yeah, well, uh, le- lesson, well, lesson number two for me in my review is a uh, turn and run, you know, <laughs> I love it. You're, sh- you're, you're shooting him with bullets and it's not working. Turn around and run. You watched him knock a helicopter out of the sky. Don't send the other helicopters near him. Turn around and yes. run. That's so <laughs> Do smart. Some, yeah, just don't get killed, moron. Well, the other yeah. monsters we had, we had a couple other species. We had the the one rock log like uh, beast. Right. It's almost like a some sort of a a bull um, that was very interesting and cool to look at. Uh, didn't really do much, but was a, a nice little world touch for the island. And then we had, of course, the ant or the spider. I'm sorry, with the the long. Mm. Mm. cane like legs and oh that was just creepy and i love the way that they brought him down uh having to oh, yeah. cut through the cane hoping they got legs and occasionally doing so and then the skull crawler um you know the giant one i i man i love this final fight i i, I gotta tell you i was on the edge of my seat and mm. it wasn't really you know they they had been fighting for a little while yeah. the moment that it really started for me and i i was just completely mouth agape for the rest of the fight was when we saw the skull crawler going towards the boat and Kong had been kind of beaten down a little bit. And we thought that the skull crawler was going to get to the boat and get to the humans. And all of a sudden the camera cuts and it cuts to Kong in mid air with a flipping boulder flying through the air and mm-hmm. just boulders on the head of this thing. And then oh, yeah. I, that was my audible. Oh, like moment. Mm-hmm. And my son leans to me, you know, and gives me his middle school get wrecked scrub line, which is perfect. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and from then on, it was just beautiful. Like him, oh, everything yeah. about him taking the that chains, thing down, the, the propeller, chains, the propeller oh, ripping so the good. tongue out with Brie Larson in his hand still. I mean, it was, oh, it was, it was awesome. I mean, that's, and that's what you go to this movie for. Right. right? So that you know? had to, that had to deliver. And I feel like it did. Yeah. I mean, it's okay to, that's that, kind of like for Jurassic World for me, like it's okay to take something that we, we thought was, was, you know, breathtaking and give me the big, dumb, loud and awesome version of it. Cause it's still fun. It, it's, we're, we're watching, 
we're watching big apes and big dinosaurs. You know, how do you you can't make that serious 90 percent of the time. you got to go out and have fun. you got to go out and make it big, loud and dumb. And there's nothing wrong with that. And as long as you make big, loud and dumb, that's fun to watch and entertaining and compelling. You've done the job. And that's what this film does for me. It just it touches the right. It hits the right buttons on the checklist to just be fun you know and there's room for fun if this makes people's guilty pleasure list before it makes people's 10 best list at the end of the year so be it that's fine not every film's going to win oscars and that's that's the good part about this is there's room for both right and but which one are we going to rewatch are we going to rewatch the oscar film that we thought was an incredible acting performance no or are we going to rewatch kong because man oh my gosh that was fun we're going to yeah, rewatch kong exactly. yeah that's you the know, fun part about the, this. the last thing that i, I do want to mention too is the romance, the lack of romance. I really enjoyed yep. this take on not doing that. We get right. that sentimental moment uh, between Brie Larson's character and Kong where, you know, she touches him briefly. There's an acknowledgement of mm-hmm. the human and the beast and, and coming yep. together. And that's all that there needs to be. And of course yep. he, he kind of quote unquote saves her there in the end. Yeah which is a, a classic Kong thing that he needs to do, but it's never in a, in a way that is this weird bestiality thing of right. like, I'm in love with this woman. It's, it's simply a, she cared about me. I'm going right. to care about her. It's, it's a human and heck, I don't know. Maybe this is one of your lessons, but it's that idea of, you know, do unto others as you do unto yourself. Sure. And, and well, that's no, what just, we um... see here. Yeah, I think you said it best with just the word acknowledgement. You know, um, it just acknowledges that who's looking out for who, and and in in especially because of the way John C. Riley frames that Kong is here as a protector, um, not just for the indigenous humans of that island, but the whole idea of the island and the other things that could be underneath it. So, no, if you're going to frame Kong as a protector, you, he has to. That's a great demonstration and acknowledgement that he's going to do some kind of protecting. You're right, because when you do the bestiality, why would a 100-foot ape be all horny for one girl? It's just – yeah, it's it works in the 1930s for excellent melodrama. In 2017, no, don't even need it. And I'm also glad from a romance angle they don't – you know, they don't – immediately knock you over the head in any kind of way with put you know putting Brie Larson with one of the male characters that are human either I mean she gravitates in a you know situation of peril to to Tom Hiddleston's character but that's not going to turn into an instant same thing like kind of like we were saying with the um cheesy one-liners and, and a bond moment that doesn't turn into the oh you saved me now let's bone you know it just mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it's just a because she's a war you know um kind of a peacekeeping pacifist war photojournalist and he's this grizzled i have no you know friends tracker so it's not going to turn into the yeah let's let's you know let's get in the sheets and let's go he's not austin powers no and that's no. what and that's why those two characters can there's have a respect and have, between them yeah respect have that embrace and not have it turn into you know boom chicka boom boom so yeah, it, yeah it's i'm glad they didn't go there either well, man, I appreciate you coming on. This has been fun. I think the word for me that, that sums this one up is excitement. Um, it, it, I was excited watching it. I was excited leaving it. I'm excited about where it's going. I can't wait for the next one. Uh, and that's a, that's a big win in my book. So mm-hmm. I, I appreciate us being able to talk about it and, yeah. and discuss it some. Why don't you tell people where they can get in touch with you online and find more of your work? Where can they go read your Kong review? Because it should be up by the time they're listening to this as well. Um, let them know. 
Sure. Well, first things first, I'm, I'm a regular contributor on the blog right there on Feeling Film where I should have a uh, a weekly set of uh, lessons here by Friday or Saturday or so. Um, I realize it's Thursday tomorrow and I haven't written it yet, so that ought to be hilarious. So definitely go to Feeling Film first to find the What We Learned This Week column that I write. Um, after that, for my movie reviews, especially this film review of Kong Skull Island, go to everymoviehasalesson.com. You can find me uh, on that website, of course, that same uh, tag on Twitter or on Facebook. Um, my Twitter handle is Casablanca, like the movie, and then my name, Don, all one word, so Casablanca Don. But if you search Every Movie Has a Lesson, you'll find it there. Other than that, I'm the uh, co-founder and co-director of the Chicago Independent Film Critics Circle. ChicagoIndieCritics.org is where a lot of my work and a lot of other people's work go every week, where we showcase our people and all that. So um, that's where you can find me. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me further, you can find me all over the web at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, Twitter, Facebook, etc. You can also find me using the Feel and Film Twitter at Feel and Film and all over the Feel and Film Facebook page and Facebook group, which is a great place to come and join the discussion. So if you're looking for somewhere to talk movies all day long while you're at work, uh, come join the Facebook group and... You will have that place. There are plenty of people there that will keep you entertained. Thanks for listening. And until next time, as we always say, stay positive and keep feeling filled.